today, uh, we are in part two of our shoes series, right? Changing our views by trying on shoes. Uh, help me out with this next part. They say you can't understand someone unless you've walked a mile in there. There we go. Uh, what's cool about shoes is different shoes remind you of different types of people, right? You see uh, work boots, you, th- you think hard uh, manual labor. You see some all-black tennis shoes. I'm thinking referee. I don't know what comes to your mind, but I think, all, I think referee when I see all-black. You see some uh, non-slip shoes. You might think of a kitchen or a cook. Different shoes are associated with different things. And today, uh, we're going to be talking about some, some fabulous shoes, Okay. See if I can't get into these real quick. No, there's no way. I'm sorry. There's no way. Uh, that was. That is not going to happen. Uh, but we are going to be talking about these fantastic uh, stilettos. All right. Um, I feel like those are the appropriate shoe uh, for the person that we're going to see today. Remember this series where we're seeing people and how they interacted uh, with Jesus, and, and specifically how they were changed after they met Jesus. And before we get into the weeds of the story and kind of get into it, I want to make it a point of emphasis. Today we're going to look at someone who, who is a mess. Uh, she doesn't exactly have it all together. And that's not where I want our focus to be, the fact that, that she's kind of a mess and she's got some, some rough edges. Uh, we need our focus to be what Jesus does for those people with messes. Because he never turns them away. He never says they're too far gone. He never belittles them. And every time that he interacts with someone who's a mess, uh, Jesus does the same thing he calls them to himself. He offers them freedom. And so today we're looking at a woman who interacts with Jesus. She's, she's made some mistakes. Uh, she's got some red in her ledger. Uh, she's been living in sin. That is 100% true. But if we get fixated on that, we'll miss the point. Her story is one of shame. And shame is a powerful thing, but shame is not the main character. The one who releases us from all shame, Jesus. Jesus is the main character. And that's what we're going to see today, that Jesus takes away her shame and he fills her with purpose. And I believe that you, everybody in here, is here for a purpose. Uh, Some of you guys walked in not even realizing the amount of shame that you are carrying. And today as we open the word of the Lord, my prayer is that you would quit carrying the heavy burden of shame and that you would walk in freedom, to walk in the purpose that God has called you to. So before we jump into the word today, I want us to, to get our hearts right. Let's invite God into this place. So if you guys just put your hands out, palms up, close your eyes. It's just a posture of surrender. Take a deep breath. And remember that God is just as near as the air that you're breathing. God, would you give us tender hearts to hear your word this morning? Help us to put away the frustrations of this past week and to put away the distractions of the coming week. Help us to fully focus on you and what you have for us. We come empty with nothing to offer but surrender. Fill us this morning as only you can. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I want to set the stage for today. Last week we talked about John 3. Uh, We were there. We talked about Nicodemus, and he had this lengthy conversation uh, with Jesus. Uh, And then after that conversation he has with Nicodemus, Jesus, he goes into the countryside, and and John the Baptist is telling him, he's telling Jesus, he's telling everybody there, he's like, hey, uh, he, Jesus, must become greater, and I, John the Baptist, must become less and less. And then it goes on to say that Jesus and his disciples are baptizing more than John 
had. And because of this growth, this good thing, uh, the Pharisees are actually looking for Jesus. These other religious people, they're mad about that. And so Jesus and his disciples, they head to Galilee. Uh, but they're going to take uh, the scenic route. Okay? They're going to cut through Samaria. And I say cut through uh, because it really doesn't make sense if you were to look at a map to go this way. And Samaritans and Jews, there's a lot of tension between their people. Uh, there's some cultural and racial conflict uh, between them. Uh, and it's almost as if Jesus had a purpose for taking the long way. He wasn't taking the long way to be difficult, but he was taking the long way because he had a purpose for it. And when they get to Samaria, the disciples, they go out into town for a supply run. And then in John 4, verse 6, it says this. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noon time. Right, the disciples leave. Jesus is sitting there at the well, recovering from his trip. Look at this next part here in verse 7. It says, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Remember, it is, it's about noon. Uh, this is a part of the world that we would now refer to as the Middle East. Uh, and it's about noon. Think about the Middle East in the middle of the day. Anybody else sweating just thinking about it? It's warm. It's hot. It is the heat of the day. It would be uh, customary in this culture uh, for women to go and to get water, but they would do it in the morning or they would do it in the evening so they didn't have to carry this heavy thing of water all the way back in the heat of the day. But this woman, she comes in the middle of the day. It's because she isn't accepted uh, with the women who come at the other times of the day. Uh, the other women would be ashamed uh, to be associated with this woman. Uh, one Bible commentator, I'm going to make sure that I say this is a Bible commentator saying this and not me. Uh, he described this woman this way. Uh, this woman is obviously a dis dissolute woman. I think she's probably as common as pig tracks. She's rude and immoral. We would call her today a hussy or a broad. And then he ends it with, if you please, which is like, okay, you kind of rude there. Uh, just quoting a Bible commentator there. Uh, this is a woman, uh, this woman at the well, and she is uh, living in immorality. And Jesus, he's a Jewish teacher, speaks to this woman, this Samaritan woman. And here's the deal. As a Jewish teacher, uh, most people wouldn't have anything to do with just Samaritans in general. And on top of that, uh, she was a woman, and even on top of that, she was an immoral woman. Yet Jesus, he talks to her, and he receives her company. I think about that. How many people do you know that think they wouldn't be accepted by Jesus because they've done too much, because they can't be Redeemed. Maybe it's you. Maybe you know God, you know who he is, but your shame keeps your relationship with him distant. Uh, just like the woman at the well, God wants a relationship with you. And your sin, your shame doesn't make him back away from you. Actually, it makes him lean in towards you. He wants to be with you. And here's what Jesus says to the Samaritan woman. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Please give me a drink. A drink. A pretty simple request. Please give me a drink. I want you to think back to just a chapter before when Jesus interacted with Nicodemus. Uh, the contrast between the two. Nicodemus was this religious man who was well thought of and respected and, and wealthy. He was basically the exact opposite of this woman. And Jesus, when he talks to Nicodemus, he's pretty blunt and direct with him. Now Jesus is with this immoral woman at the well and he's politely asking for a drink of water. Yeah, he responded totally different to them. And I want you to know that Jesus will give you exactly what you need at any given moment to get through. He's going to give you what you need. 
But what we need and what we want aren't always the same, right? But Jesus will give you exactly what you need. Sometimes when you're living in a mistake, you've made a mistake, you need to walk with Jesus through it, right? Like you need him to come alongside. And, and God's not going to make this mistake go away, but he'll use it to, to prune you, all right, to make you grow, to, to make you more like him. Other times you might, you might fail and God's grace will manifest itself in a very real and powerful way. What you need and what you want are not the same thing. And there's sometimes some friction there. I've been there. Or what I want God to do and what I need are two different things. I think about in the Old Testament, there's this book called Exodus. And the people of Israel, they're wandering in the desert. And they cry out to God. And they say, God, we need food. We don't have anything to eat. And God sends quail and he sends manna from heaven. And they get so excited about it. But then, after a while, they start to complain. They complain about eating the same thing every day. They literally got the provision that they were praying for, and then they started to complain about it. What we need and what we want aren't always aligned. But Jesus, hear me on this, Jesus has always given me exactly what I need. And he will give you exactly what you need. Well, religious Nicodemus Last week, he needed some tough love. That's what he needed. Uh, and this promiscuous woman at the well, uh, she needs some gentleness and kindness. And Jesus appeals to her sympathy by asking her for some water. And there's going to be some times where it might feel like tough love coming from God. And there's going to be some times where you are amazed by his loving kindness. And sometimes when we get one or the other, we get upset. Thinking, I would really love some loving kindness right now. I don't want no tough love. We can't get upset. We have to realize that God is giving us exactly what we need. So how does this promiscuous woman respond to Jesus' question? Right? Would you please give me a drink? The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Like, why are you asking me for a drink? Right? Remember, it, Jesus is a male. He's a Jewish teacher speaking to a Samaritan woman. He's breaking some cultural customs here. Uh, and Jesus replied, If you only knew, if you only knew the gift God has for you, and who you are speaking to. You would ask me and I would give you living water. If you only knew the gift God has for you. This woman has the son of God, Jesus, the Messiah, right in front of her. And she has to be thinking, why is this man here? Why is he talking to me? Can't he just leave me alone so I can finish before it gets even hotter outside? But she can't pull herself away. There's something about him that's just different. Jesus said at the very beginning that if you only knew, if you only knew that God has a gift for you, how often are we just like that woman at the well? She's caught up in, in getting her water and just finishing her task and heading back into town. Uh, not only that, she's caught up in a life that is it's hopeless, it's, it's isolated. She's an outcast. How often do we do the same? We get caught up in our own purposes the tasks of the day. We get caught up in a life that is, that's hopeless, it's isolated. We feel outcast from the things that we enjoy. And just like the woman at the well, we have a gift from God right in front of us and we can't afford to miss it. 
If Jesus doesn't interrupt her day with this, this holy appointment, uh, she would have missed so much. She would have missed freedom. She would have missed purpose. She would have missed the kingdom of God. Don't miss the gift that God has in front of you by focusing on your daily to-do list. Does your life allow God to interrupt your day with a gift? Or are you too busy? Do you have a healthy rhythm of life where you spend time with Jesus to learn and to hear from him through his word? You have to be ready for him to show up in your everyday life. Uh, if Jesus were to show up uh, to the average person here in Canadian County and he was to knock on the door, uh, he would get the same treatment from the average person here in Canadian County. He'd get the same treatment as the door-to-door salesman. At most houses, what happens? Volume down on the TV, you tell the kids to be quiet. Don't respond, he'll go away, right? That's what we do. Uh, and Jesus, he interrupts her day and says he has a gift for her. The gift that Jesus says is, I have living water for you. And the woman responds in a way that, uh, as, as I read the passage, it really so- kind of seems to be like sarcastic and maybe a little desperate too. She's like, you have living water? Like you're here, you don't even have a rope or a bucket and this well is deep. Uh, how would you even get this living water from her? You don't have anything. And Jacob, you know, the God of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that Jacob, this is his well. You think you're better than him? Like, there's no sarcasm font in the New Testament, but it just feels like that's how she's responding to Jesus. And here's how Jesus responds to her. Verse 13 there. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink this water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And she tells Jesus, her response is, please, sir, give me some of this water so I won't be thirsty. I won't have to trek up here in the heart of the day anymore. Again, there's no sarcasm font, but it sure feels like she's got this sense of desperate sarcasm here. Please, sir, give me some of this. But at the same time, why does she say that? so I don't have to come up here and get this anymore. I don't have to come up and get this in the heat of the day. Why? If we read between the lines a little bit, why is she going there alone? Because she can't go with anybody else. Why is she going there in the middle of the day? Because she can't be associated with everybody else. What she is saying is, uh, give me this so I don't have to do this daily walk of shame. Everybody can look at me and see I'm an outcast, that I'm isolated, that that I have no hope. Uh, Give me this water so I don't have the constant reminder of the mistakes I've made. And Jesus, he knows that even though she's got some defenses up, she's using some sarcasm there, her heart is being stirred. And so he tells her, he says, go get your husband. He's kind of getting to the meat of the issue here with her. Uh, She responds, I don't have a husband. Uh, and Jesus responds uh, right back, you're right, you don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. See, her promiscuity is what she feels shame about. 
She's been married five times. She's shacking up with a guy that she's not married to. Think about what's going through her mind right now. There's a man that she has just run into at the well. She doesn't know him. He has no way of knowing who she is. And yet he knows all about the mess she's made. He knows all about the source of her shame. And shame's a powerful thing. Shame, can, it can manifest itself in so many uh, different ways. And what I want to do is I want to divide it into three categories that I think is the most common way that we experience shame. There, there's visible shame, there's hidden shame, and then there's BC shame. A visible shame is what the woman has. The people who know her are aware of the shame that she carries. They know why she gets water alone. It's a constant reminder that she is not accepted with her people because of her decisions. Maybe you've experienced visible shame. Or you've made a mess of something and it's out there for everyone to see. It feels like everybody is looking down on you and the decisions you've made. Uh, that's visible shame. It's, it's the ugly divorce. It's losing the job. It's making a mistake and everyone's seeing it. There's no hiding from it. It's visible shame. And, and then there's hidden shame. And unfortunately, I think hidden shame is all too common in churches and in Christian communities. Hidden shame is shame for the things that you've done that no one else is aware of. Nobody knows about it. It's shame for the things that you do in secret. It's, it's sin and your shame in your heart that nobody can see on the outside. It's the things you do in private. It's the porn addiction. It's uh, resentment towards your spouse. It's maybe just that extra drink or two. Maybe it's the doubts about your faith. Maybe it's the shady business practice. All those things that no one sees. Now, eventually it will spill out and become visible. But hidden shame is a little different because it's not shame that others have heaped on you. It's what you've piled on yourself because you feel like a fraud. Because if the people around you really knew who you were, they wouldn't love or accept you. Like I said, I think this is too common in Christian communities where we keep wearing the mask of the false self because we want it to appear like we've got it all together. The first step is admitting you have a problem. It's why uh, James says this in uh, chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has, power, has great power and produces wonderful results. You can't heal what's happening in the dark if you don't shine light on it. Your doctor cannot make you well if you don't tell them where the pain is. If you went to the doctor in pain and uh, you tell the doc, the doc's like, why are we here? You're like, I'm actually good. The doctor's not going to be able to help you. He can't provide anything that's going to make the pain go away. You can't fix what's hiding. You have to bring it to the light. You need to tell someone about the shame you're experiencing. So there's visible shame, there's hidden shame, and the last one, there's B.C. shame. You know how when you uh, have a date, it's either B.C. Like, or A.D.? Uh, B.C. shame is for things that you did before Christ. Before you were a follower of Jesus, you did some things that make your present self cringe. Can I get an amen? Anybody else? You got, you got some stuff that you're ashamed of? You have shame with the way that you've acted. You did shameful things. And church, God has forgiven you for all 
your sin. Past, present, and future. When you became a follower of Jesus, God no longer sees your sin. Uh, He doesn't hold it against you. It is 100% gone. Your debt has been paid in full. Don't let the enemy hold your past against you. I heard it said this way, if the devil keeps bringing up your past, it's because he's running out of new material, all right? That's a good thing. Uh, Don't hold on to the shame from your life before Christ. If God has forgiven you, drop it and move forward. That's BC shame. There's hidden shame and and, and visible, visible shame. And the woman at the well, she is just soaked with shame. Uh, She feels it herself. The people around her can see it. Her neighbors can look at her and see the shame. But Jesus, he's never met this woman. And he just named to her that she's been married five times and she's currently shacking up with a guy she's not married to. And when this woman hears it, she thinks, uh, you must be a prophet. Like, how else could you know this about me? And she tries to deflect from her shame uh, the body count that she has. So she shifts the conversation. Uh, Since he must be a prophet, I'll ask him about worship. She says like, hey, uh, she asks about where to worship and why certain people worship here and other people they worship there. And then Jesus, he's he's like, hey, it doesn't matter. Soon it's not going to matter where people worship. But what does matter is who they worship. And uh, I love this. It's, It's like she gets it. The woman said, I know. I know. The Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. He will explain everything. He says the Messiah is coming, and here's how Jesus responds to her. I am the Messiah. Jesus says, I am the Messiah. She just said, I know there's going to be a Messiah. He's going to explain everything to us. And Jesus goes, I am the Messiah. It's me. And we're at a decision point. She says, I know the Messiah is coming. He's going to explain everything. And Jesus says, I'm him. And the question for her and the question for us as well, and Jesus says, I am the Messiah. What are you going to do with that information? fact that Jesus says he's the Messiah. And Jesus says he's the living water. What are you going to do with that information? What are you going to do with the fact that Jesus is the Messiah? What are you going to do with the fact that he's the living water? He's the one who will wash away all your sins. I love what uh, this woman does. She hears this. hears Jesus say, I am the Messiah. It says, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Uh, this is a rhetorical question she's asking. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Did you catch that? It says she left her jar at the well. A symbol of her shame. She left it at the feet of Jesus. The water jar she had to carry completely alone and just filled with shame. Why am I by myself? Because nobody will accept me. Nobody will, will love me. Nobody will be with me. She meets Jesus and she leaves behind all that shame. She's experienced the living water. She has met the Messiah and immediately she goes to tell others about it. And when she does that, her shame stays 
behind, and Jesus took it from her. When Jesus tells her he is the Messiah, she responds with great faith. She's on a mission, and she's not going to let her shame stop her from telling others. At the end of the chapter, it says this. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. Many believed in Jesus because of this woman, because of the message she carried. These are the same people that wouldn't even go with her to get water from the well. And she runs to them to tell them about Jesus. What if instead of leaving that shame, that water there at the the feet of Jesus, leaving it there at the well, what if she carried it back? Instead of leaving it at the feet of Jesus, she put it back on her shoulders. An entire village would have missed out on knowing Jesus. Shame, it holds us down and it keeps us defeated, but it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. Are you missing out because of your shame? What are the people around you missing out on because of your shame? Uh, This whole morning, uh, we've been talking about the woman at the well, uh, the Samaritan woman, the promiscuous woman. Uh, This section in most Bibles is just titled the woman at the well. We don't even get a name for her. Her identity is attached to the shame she carried. It's like she identifies herself with her shame. It's like it was written on her chest. like this weight is just sitting on her shoulder saying this is who I am no name I'm just a woman at the well maybe that's how you feel that your identity is attached to your shame and when you attach your identity to your shame uh, you're not just you right uh, that would, for me, this would be, not, I'm not just Logan, I'm Logan the hypocrite, I'm Logan the fraud, I'm Logan the sinner. And when we do that, it weighs us down. Just like the woman had to literally carry the weight of the water back to town. We carry our shame around. When it's tied to our identity, that's what we do. It's, it's what's across our chest. And it's only going to get worse because none of us are perfect. Like we'll make mistakes, we'll have the shame that we carry. And then what happens is we mess up again. And when we mess up... Uh, we just add a little bit more weight to it because it's right there on our chest. And then uh, the problem is is we're going to mess up again and then it just gets that much heavier. And then we're going to mess up again. It's more and more and more. Now, while we might grit our teeth and get through it for a while, eventually it's going to become too much eventually you won't be able to take it. It's going to be too much on your shoulders. And then when you fall all the way down, it's going to take you to your knees. And when you fall, it's going to feel like even more weight is put on you. You can't take it. You can't get up. You're exhausted. You're tired. There's only one thing to do. Be just like the woman at the well. To take it off and to leave it at the feet of Jesus. To not carry it around anymore. 
God's got you humble. He's got you all the way down. We need to do exactly what the woman does. Leave our shame at the feet of Jesus. He does not want you to carry it. He doesn't. He doesn't. Uh, Jesus says this in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. And here's the the best part. Uh, Jesus gives us a new identity. Our identity is no longer attached to our shame. Our identity is attached to the one who took our shame. Our identity is attached to Jesus. So instead of Logan the hypocrite, Logan the fraud, Logan the sinner, my identity is attached to Jesus. I'm Logan the child of God. Logan the one who God has forgiven. Logan the son of the king. And we don't earn any of that. That's all because of the love of God. All God wants from us is this. Open hands. To surrender. The woman didn't do anything with her shame. All she did was quit carrying it. She put it at the feet of Jesus. Do you need to do the same today? You need to drop the shame that you're carrying. Just give it over to Jesus. And whatever burden you're carrying, if you're doing it without God, it's too heavy. It's so much heavier than it needs to be. Jesus is calling you. He said, come to me. My burden is light. We can't hide anything when we have open hands, when we're surrendered to God. Open hands might look like confessing your sin to God. Open hands might look like being honest with your spouse. Open hands might look like accepting Jesus as your Savior. I don't know where you're at, but I do know this. Jesus wants you to come to him, to quit carrying the shame and to take his burden and his light. He wants to be with you right now as you are. Right now as you are. He doesn't want you to carry that shame any longer. Give it over to him. Let's pray.